Hi, it's Brendan here. We've got a brilliant episode coming up for you today. The wonderful Julia Hartley Brewer, one of our favourite regular guests, returned to the show. And even better, she joined me live on Zoom with an audience. Spike supporters were able to attend this event absolutely free. They were also given early bird tickets with plenty of notice. So if you never want to miss another Spiked event, and trust me, we have some exciting ones coming up, make sure you sign up to become a Spiked supporter. Anyone who gives Spiked £5 or more a month or £50 or more a year is eligible to become a Spiked supporter and can get access to a whole range of perks. So become a Spike supporter today by signing up at spiked-online.com slash supporters. That's spiked-online.com slash supporters. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this very, very special live recording of The Brendan O'Neill Show with me, Brendan O'Neill, and my very special guest, Julia Hartley Brewer. Julia is a returning guest to The Brendan O'Neill Show. I think this might be your third or fourth time. Anyway, never enough. There should be more. And uh, welcome, Julia. Julia doesn't need much of an introduction. She is a political beast. She's been around for years and years, commenting, writing, broadcasting, of course. She's currently best known for her unmissable breakfast show on talk radio, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. And uh, she is one of my favourite commentators by far. Julia, welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed. Really lovely to be here. So I want to kick off with, I think, what is one of our favourite topics of conversation, which is how completely insane the world has gone. Now, I know it, it can become a bit of a cliche, the world's gone mad, PC gone mad, etc., etc., but it is increasingly true. And I was thinking the other day, imagine if five years ago someone had told you that female MPs would be hauled over the coals for saying that only women have a cervix, or that middle-class eco-loons would be blocking the M25 in protest against climate change at the exact moment we have an energy provision crisis, or if someone told you that the public broadcaster would be putting out content about the problem of white privilege and encouraging its staff to do white privilege board games to work out just how sinful and bad they are. I mean, if someone had said all of that stuff to you just five years ago, you would have thought, no, that's not going to happen. Not possible. You're, you're going too far. But all of that stuff has come to pass and much more besides. It's all happened quite quickly, hasn't it? The descent of sanity and the descent of the world into something quite strange has been quite a fast process. Yeah, I mean, I just would have thought it was one of those really bad BBC Two satire shows that Nish Kumar <laughs> seems to have some reason utterly beyond me get commissioned to do. Um, well, as a possessor of a cervix and white privilege, Brendan, I feel I can speak on some of these issues. And somebody puts the radiators on at the drop of a hat, definitely a contributor to global warming. Um, yeah, I, I, I remember the night before Brexit night going to a, a wonderful dinner of about 50 hacks, uh, all Brexiteers, and God, it was a fun night and very drunken. I know you're really surprised <laughs> to hear that. Um, and we will talk about what the next battleground was. You know, what was it going to be? And the, the discussion was it's either you know, culture wars or it's climate change and uh, net zero or we thought, yeah, who knows, quite a lot of sort of combination of the two. I didn't think we'd be battling both of those at the same time as battling for the right to continue to, I don't know, book a holiday, see my mother uh, and my daughter to go to school. I mean, you know, call me old fashioned and demanding and middle class and sharp elbow. But I kind of thought those things were a given a year and a half ago. Um, so to be battling on all those fronts every single day. I mean, when I help you know, set up my breakfast show, I've got three and a half hours. And, you know, you've got news breaks and travel breaks and, and, and the sport, and, and you've got a minister on and often you know, an opposition MP. And then the rest of it, I, I'm free to play with it. And every single day for three years, I, I have been sitting there going, how do we fit it all in? How do we get it all in? Um, how, how, do we, how do we get in every single really important topic and tackle it and talk some sense about it so that the, my listeners uh, can actually know that there's someone out there mm. who is, who is mm. I, I know a lot of the country think I'm not sane, but really, you know, we are, we are talking, you know, 1984, last man in Europe territory. I, I, I really am. And, and, I, and one of the things I, I try and do with my show, and I know you try and do with Spike, is 
to let people know that you're not mm. alone. You're not alone going, the emperor really doesn't have any clothes on. Am I the only person who sees this? <laughs> no. And I think there are millions of us who, who, who do realise this and, and are just looking at the culture wars and the climate change um, propaganda, which is basically what BBC and Sky News is now. I mean, it's just propaganda. It's not even pretending to be proper news anymore. Um, and, and looking at that and just saying, what the hell happened? Yeah. And I, do you know what? I don't know what did happen. <laughs> I don't know when politicians stopped caring what, what ordinary voters thought. Do you know anybody normal who really thinks that we should desperately be hitting net zero? I mean, a normal person whose daddy isn't paying their trust fund, I mean. Do you know anybody um, who, who genuinely thinks that, you know, that, that a trans woman is a woman in the sense of, Literally, mm. literally, not as a not as a matter of courtesy to them saying she or her, but literally a woman. Do you know anyone? Do you know anyone who honestly thinks that that white working class boys growing up on council estates in the northeast of England are walking around, swaggering around with their white privilege? I mean, this stuff is, you know, driven into us day in day out by politicians and by the media, m- mainstream media, of which I know I'm a part. Um, and I don't know anyone in the real world who, who believes in it. So I'm bugging if I know how it happened, frankly. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, that's that's really the issue, isn't it? That extraordinary chasm-sized disconnect between what passes for politics today, especially the more woke form of politics, which I don't think is just the left anymore. I think many people on the right push a similar political agenda. But the disconnect between what passes for politics or elite consensus opinion, we might say, and what ordinary people think, what ordinary people believe and what ordinary people say, there is such a vast disconnection. And I think one of the great things about what you do and hopefully about what Spike does as well is to, as you say, provide an oasis of sanity for people in a sea of madness where people can come together and say reasonable things that which in the outside world are increasingly controversial but i want to come back to the covid issue which you touched upon there the fact that we've had this smashing together of all the madnesses of our time including the covid madness so let's come back to that in a moment but you also raised the culture wars and i want to ask you about the culture wars and i want to dig down a bit into the culture wars in terms of how we understand them so The BBC Director General, uh, Tim Davey, recently said, yesterday I think, said um, the problem for the BBC, it's really hard to be impartial in the culture war era. We get it from both sides. It's really difficult, etc., etc. But it strikes me, and you and I had a conversation about this on your show, the BBC is surely a leading protagonist in the culture war. So there's this very strange phenomenon where some of the key figures who are pushing culture war ideas always deny that they are doing that and accuse other people like us of being the real culture warriors. So I wanted to ask you, how do you understand the culture war and why do you think it's becoming a problem? I think fundamentally it's a bunch of very privileged people who are largely white middle class, high, like, like people like me, um, who've got too much time on their hands, whose life is too easy. I can remember writing an article for Telegraph uh, quite a few years back about the tampon tax and, and all this thing about how, you know, all these women, how are they coping all their lives buying tampons and sanitary towels and, and with VAT on it? And it wasn't it outrageous. And, and realising that things like car seats have VAT on them and thinking, yeah, I think car seats are pretty bloody important as well, what was saving children's lives and the like. Um, I remember doing the, um, uh, the, the, the calculations on it, you know, just on the NHS guidance, you know, roughly how many tampons, you know, sorry, people are eating their food, uh, how many tampons uh, an average woman would use in her lifetime and worked it out that the average bill per, per year for the average woman would be 75 pence for that VAT. And I remember writing this piece saying, you know, if you are, living a life and living in a country and living in a world where you are able to get really, really angry and upset about paying an extra 75p in tax a year, your life's pretty bloody good. And I think the problem is we've got a lot of people whose lives are really very good and they're looking 
for problems to, to find. Now, we all, we all have friends like that. We all have family members like that. Now we've got like a whole class of people like that looking for a problem. These are the people who, for instance, when they were watching the World Cup, World Cup, the European Championship final. So it's a bit of a blur. I was on a holiday in an Italian restaurant. There was drink taken. Um, <laughs> but these are the people who, when watching um, uh, those, that penalty shootout, they were the people who clocked the colour of the skin of the football players who took and missed penalties. I watched that match. I don't remember clocking that because I wasn't sitting there thinking, oh, it's a white player now. Hmm, it's a black player now. I was thinking it's an England player or knowing the name of the actual player taking uh, the, 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 uh, the kick. Now, this is the thing. People who are sitting there worried about looking for you know, literally looking every day for some some new grievance, whether it is that that uh, biological males uh, who, who want to go into, into women's changing rooms or, or or watch my daughter undress in Topshop, um, or whether it's about you know, the, the VAT on tampons, whether it's about um, you know twenty idiots sending horrific uh, racist abuse. Uh, to black footballers out of a population of 67 million and therefore thinking we have a major racism crisis on our hands. They're looking for a fight. They, they are the equivalent of the people going into the pub and saying, are you looking at my pint? Mm. And that's what they're basically, are you <laughs> looking at my, you know, my cultural privilege? And um, I think it's really tiring. And I think in, in a normal world, we would have all as a collective population gone, shut up. You're yeah. a bit of a bore. We all know these people. We go, yeah. oh, yawn, you know, bye. And, you, you know, they're, they're the pub bore. Now these people are, are running the shop. And yeah. the thing that we used to think was just a few crazy people in American universities, uh, the thing that was just a few people on a few left-wing magazines, um, that is now totally pervading our culture. I remember, you know, I, I, my station is owned by News UK. When we found out from the Guido Fawkes site that News UK wanted to send everybody uh, on um, on one of these diversity courses, and I had a queue of people saying, please, can I come when you go? I mean, that would be so much fun <laughs> to watch you go on one of those. Um, I'm not prepared to go on a course to be told that I am racist. I'm not racist. I, I know I'm not racist. Um, I, I, I don't feel the need to prove that to anybody. I know I'm not, and I'm not willing to go on a course about it. But this stuff is being thrust down our, our, our throats by politicians, by diversity managers in, in pretty much every corporation. It's it's being thrust down us on media, by the mainstream media, by social media. And it's a really, it's a, it, it feels like a very scary place to be right now, to be someone saying, no, you know, just no, yeah. no, no. The average white person in this country isn't racist. Yeah. No, no. Men can't become women and women can't become men. And that doesn't mean we can't allow people to live their lives with respect and, and compassion uh, and, and, and dignity and be respectful to people. But you, I don't have to have a double think view that someone with a penis is a woman. No, I don't. I refuse to play along. Um, now, when we're being asked to to play along with that stuff and we refuse, you, me, and I think a lot of people probably watching right now, you, you're constantly walking a tightrope of, are you, are you going to go too far? Are you going to risk, um, you know, getting sacked, uh, being cancelled? And I think you and I, we, we, we walk that tightrope or we'll walk along that ice route, whichever metaphor I'm going to mix, every single day. Mm. Um, I've had worse jobs, <laughs> I've got to be honest <laughs> But I've also had easier jobs mm. where I wasn't dealing with that every day. But I think we've got a, a kind of a duty of care um, as people who do speak out to to speak for people who who for whom it's too big a risk. Because I people get in touch with me all the time, uh, and people I know get in touch with like Toby Young's at Free Speech Union all the time. Who people who are ordinary people in ordinary jobs who are losing their livelihoods, yeah. and the millions more who aren't losing their livelihoods because they zip it and they just pretend to play along. And I think that's so dangerous. Um, so I, I think the culture wars, they come out of nowhere. Um, I think they're terrifying. I think they are so much more of a danger to our society, to our cohesiveness, to our, our values, um, to, to our family units, to, to our country's future. To our, I, think, I think it's so much bigger 
than a few idiots on Twitter taking offence and trying to cancel people. And I think it's a war that far more people, if they could be brave enough, need to just say, up with this, we will not put any... (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that point about the real victims of cancel culture, which is very... It's often not the big starry names. You know, there is some truth to the argument that when you get cancelled... You are interviewed in the Daily Telegraph or you might be on talk radio. You might be offered a column somewhere. There's some truth in that. It still does not justify the absolute hysteria that greets people like J.K. Rowling or anyone else who raises perfectly reasonable points. But the real victims are people across society who are not as secure in their jobs, not as wealthy, not not well known at all, who recognize that if you make these points, these perfectly reasonable, valid points, you will be punished. And therefore, they just enter into a spiral of silence and they don't say what they believe to be true. And that is a very unhealthy political climate in all areas of life. But I think you've touched on something really important in what you've just said, I think, which is just how regressive the culture war is. Because one of the things I find most frustrating about the current period is that if you raise any criticism of the white privilege agenda, for example, you will be instantly denounced as racist. If you raise any questions about the trans agenda, you will be called transphobic and backward and regressive. I'm a turf. I'm a turf, apparently. You're a turf, right? Exactly. Turf, which effectively means witch. I mean, that's how that word is wielded against women. And and proud. Proud (laughs) proud witch. Um, But the the issue, the the way I see it is that a lot of these people, a lot of these culture warriors, they fantasise that they are in the same tradition as the civil rights movement of the 1960s or the women's movement, the, the second wave feminism, which did some wonderful things for women in the 70s and through to the 80s as well, in fact. They see themselves as being in that tradition. But in my mind, they completely undermine those traditions. They have rehabilitated colour over character, which is the exact opposite of the civil rights movement. They've rehabilitated misogyny explicitly with the way in which they denounce witches and hags and all these awful women who dare to raise critical uh, questions. So isn't it the case that those who currently think of themselves as progressive are actually far more regressive than they realise? Oh, oh, absolutely. I mean, it's McCarthyism. I mean, <laughs> that's what it is. Um, and even when it comes down to, you know, I know we're going to move on to COVID and lockdown policy and things later, but, um, but you know, even when you get to the fact that you're not allowed to question the science, yeah. the fact that anyone thinks there's, I mean, I use that phrase on my show all the time because I think it's so laughable that there is a capital T and capital S. You know, <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, but an awful lot of the most famous scientists in the world, would we'd never have heard of them because science would have stopped about, you know, 400 years ago, for yeah. goodness sake. Um, it, it's quite it's quite worrying, isn't it? I, I think you, you and I have discussed this on, on previous podcasts where we were very much raised um, in, in similar traditions. Um, I'm, I, you know, you know, my, my background is, is on the left um, and um, I, I was raised by parents who were working class and, and, and labour voting, massively labour, labour supporting family and um, a very sort of, you know, liberal and, and right on students when I was born. So I was raised very much that, you know, you debated, you, you, you know, you, you were... You, you know, you were valued for what you contributed, what you had to say, what you did. Um, we certainly, you know, it was certainly absolutely the idea that you'd be sexist or homophobic or racist would, would have been just utterly bizarre. Yeah. You debated everything. And, 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 and certainly when I was at school, when I was at university, in my first 10, 15, 20 years in, as a journalist, um, the idea that you would shut down debate, that you would be, um, you'd, you'd be horrified or criticise someone for, for raising a query about anything or questioning things would have been, it's not just it would have been acceptable, it would have been bizarre. Mm. I mean, people would have looked at you like you were really strange. And for that to change, and for it to have changed particularly uh, on university campuses, I think is, is very, very scary. And the fact that academics, uh, many of them, seem to be driving this even more scary because you, you you cannot call yourself an academic. You cannot call yourself someone who you know who's a teacher or, or someone who is a learner if you are shutting down any debate because that that's the basis of of everything we value in the West. Everything, yeah. Um, yeah. science, you know, reason, logic, progress are all of our our moral values and uh, the, the 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 things that have you know made this country well you know the, the welfare state and the, the setting up the NHS okay I don't I have issues with it now but in terms of the setting up a free uh, point of need healthcare system you know that came out of a debate you know they didn't just come out of nowhere that came yeah. out of discussion about 
uh, you know, what we value and, 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 and what was important for the state to provide. So to, to basically say that anyone who does not accept the, you know, the, the latest faddy opinion, and they are fads because you know, something that I would have said in the 1980s, that would be totally considered totally unacceptable when it would have been considered progressive there. Something I said even five years ago, frankly, five months ago, mm. you can be out of date trying to keep up. You know, we all had the grandmothers who would say things, you know, oh, grand, you can say that. But knowing that of their generation, um, they were not saying a bad thing, you know, a, 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 you know, someone using, uh, you know, someone saying the word colours about about someone who was black. Well, you know, for a generation, you know, from from you know in their eighties or nineties, that would be the polite, respectful term that they were taught to use. So, the judgments we're making now, we are ignoring not just centuries, thousands of years. We're ignoring centuries. We're ignoring decades. We're ignoring even, you know, what happened two years ago. Mm. And, and and this this need to start from year zero pretty much every week. Yeah. Um, yeah. um, I mean, we start from year zero in terms of our values every, every week, but at the same time we have offence archaeology where anything anyone has done before, you have to be punished for that, even if you were a footballer and you were 14 years old and you wrote a tweet that someone didn't like. And, and I, I find that um, I find that chilling. I find it scary, and 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 if it wasn't both of those things to such an extent, I'd find it laughable. Because if you did, as you say, if you if you were told about this a few years ago, you'd think it was this is mad. mad. And if you watched it in a sci-fi film ten years ago, you'd have gone, "Wow, well, that's like a century away in a crazy mixed-up world." And it's here, and it's right now, and it's happening to people we know. Yeah. Um. And, and uh, yeah, I I I'm still. I'm still at a loss as to where it's come from and why it's happened so quickly, other than people don't have enough to do. Yeah, yeah. They really, people really need to find some other hobbies. But <laughs> I, I'm also really, really scared of where it's going. Really scared of where it's yeah. going. Because I, don't, I can't work out where this ends up, other than we're all going to be cancelled. But that includes the people who try and cancel other people. Sometimes it can be all too easy to waste away the hours online, but why spend your downtime mindlessly scrolling when you can learn something new and exciting? That's the thing I love about Wondrium. Wondrium is the streaming service that is full of high-quality, fascinating content. There is so much to explore and so much to learn. Wondrium has thousands of hours of video and audio content. It has fascinating documentaries, helpful how-tos, and answers to every question you've ever had. And if you're familiar with The Great Courses Plus, then you already know Wondrium. It's the same great service, now bigger and better. You are going to love it. One Wondrium program I've absolutely loved is George Orwell, A Sage for All Seasons. I know how much you'll love Wondrium, so I've arranged a special offer for my listeners. You can get a free one-month trial of unlimited access. Just go to my special URL, wondrium.com slash Brendan. That's W-O-N-D-R-I-U-M dot com slash Brendan. Think of how much you could learn in a month. Go to wondrium.com slash Brendan. Let's move on to that question a little bit, because I think that's very interesting. The question of how far this can go, because as you say, and as, as, as you and I have discussed, uh, it, it's gone far very quickly. And the question of how far it goes after this is a very important and interesting one. And I think in terms of what you're saying there about the extraordinary swiftness with which language can change and acceptable language can change. I was uh, reading the other day that it's now become problematic to say same sex marriage because you can't say same sex anymore. You can't really talk about sex at all these days. You have to think about gender. You have to think about uh, even the, the gay rights movement has become problematic because it's about same sex attraction. Whereas of course the trans lobby argues that you can be a lesbian who has a penis and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Apologies once again to anyone eating their food or trying not to think about these things. Uh, so that, so the, the swiftness with which things change. And I remember being told off a few years ago for saying gay marriage, because I thought gay marriage was an acceptable thing to say. And people said, no, you have to say same sex. You have to say same sex marriage. And now you can't say that. So there is this constant churn of acceptable, correct think. And it's very difficult for anyone to keep up, never mind our grandparents who must be just utterly bamboozled by what's going on. But in relation to these things, I wanted to ask you specifically 
about the trans issue in particular, because you've made, I think, some incredibly important points about this. I think you've taken a really brave stand on it at a time when people are cancelled probably for this issue more than any other. And the thing that irritates me is that, as I was saying, when people like you and I are referred to as racist or regressive or backward, when, as it happens, both of you you and I are implacably anti-racist, we believe in women's rights. We're both Republicans, as it happens. Not that that is... With a small R. Yeah, (laughs) a small R Republican. Uh, Not that that's an essential part of being progressive, so no monarchist in the audience should feel offended by what I've just said. Um, So we have these views, and yet we're referred to in that way. And I think... The issue on which this becomes most pronounced is the trans issue and the question of whether you think women ought to have the right to openly talk about issues that concern them, to organise amongst themselves, even if we might think that uh, self-organising women is an old-fashioned idea or that women only shortlists in politics is not a positive idea. I'm utterly open to all of those criticisms, but we still recognise their right to do that. So on that issue in particular, the trans issue, what do you think has gone wrong there? And why do you think it causes such a fuss when women like you say, I'm not a cis woman, I'm simply a woman? Yeah, as uh, someone who tweeted me and I've used it and said, I'm going to steal this. I'm not the vagina variant. (laughs) <laughs> I think this is really, really crucial. I was tweeting about this the other day. Um, but yeah, this idea, you know, trans, you know, it's a hashtag, trans women are women. No, trans women are trans women. Women are women. There is no subset of women. They're just women. We're women, that's it. I refuse to be called a cis woman. I, I know what it means. Mm-hmm. You, you identify as the gender in which you're born. No, I'm just a woman. No, that's what, you're a man, I'm a woman. There's nothing good or bad about it. These are statements of fact. In the same way that I'm sitting at a computer, the desk, this is a glass of wine. You can, you can, you can call it a lamp if you want. That means that the words lamp and wine and glass have no meaning anymore, in which case we don't actually have a language and we can't actually in any way converse in a meaningful way. Words have to have meanings. Otherwise, they're not words. They're just random sounds. Now, the reason why human beings can actually converse and can communicate is because we have this thing called language and we have accepted meanings about what key words mean. Um, I decided, I decided a couple of years ago that, yeah, I'll, I will eventually get cancelled and I will eventually lose my job uh, at talk radio. But I've decided that the women's safety issue, not women's rights, women's safety, um, I decided that is a hill I'm willing to die on. Um, there are sometimes you think, oh, I'll back off a bit. It's not worth the fight. No, this is worth the fight. Um, I, I, and I speak about this more, more as the mother of a 14 year old teenage mm. girl than anything else. Um, I, it, it is a, it is a matter of strong preference for me that when my daughter goes into a changing room in a shop, that there aren't people with penises in there. By that I which I mean, I mean men. That, that's the word we use for people who have penises. Yeah. And I would say the average, pretty much normal guy with a penis, whether he's straight sex or anything else, doesn't want to be in a room with teenage girls because they know that that would make those girls feel uncomfortable. So that's my starting point, which is that um, we know that, that women are at risk and girls are at risk from um, a small number of men. That's the reality. I hate this whole male violence, women victims. I don't accept that at all. The vast majority of men never laid a finger on a woman, wouldn't dream of it, are not sexual assaulters. They don't rape, they don't hit, they're not at risk. But the point is there is a small set of people. In the same way that of all the people sitting here tonight, I'm guessing none of us have burgled anyone else's house. And yet we still have contents insurance and we put locks on our doors <laughs> when we go out. Um, I mean that because we know there is a small subset of people that are at risk. There is a small subset of men who are a risk to women, whether it's uh, in a refuge, whether it's in a prison, whether it is in a, a changing room, whether it's a ladies' loo, wherever it is, um, women have a right to safe spaces. And, and, the, and the, the right to men to safe spaces is a different right based on a different need. So... Um, it's not, for instance, it's not for me a concern that I think, oh, you know, that sort of idea that you know, trans, trans women are, are perverts or a danger. No, it's that dangerous men will use that legislation to self-identify and claim to be trans women and gain access to the spaces which should be safe for women. It's not an anti-trans thing. It's a pro-women safety thing. The idea that anybody can't understand that. When we've had cases where, I mean, what is it, one in 60 
um, uh, men behind bars right now are now identifying as mm. women, mm. pretty much all of them sex offenders to try and get into women's prisons. We've had absurd court cases where uh, women have been uh, you know, told off by the judge because they said his penis about a mm. trans woman uh, uh, accused. Um, if you're saying, you know, if you're saying, if you're being forced to say her penis, something has gone horribly wrong because yeah. <laughs> no one who's a her has got a penis. That's kind of what the word her implies. So, again, that comes back to the meaning of words. So my objection on this is, 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 is a number of thoughts. It's, crucially, it's about women's and girls' safety um, and playing the odds, just playing the odds. Um, secondly, also, it is about the, 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 the need to protect the meaning of language that people are not allowed to just randomly make up the meaning of words as they see fit on a Wednesday after bloody noon and then <laughs> tell me I have to adhere to their new made-up definition. I mm. know what a woman is, thank you very much. Mm. Um, but also added to that is the double thing that is required, that this idea that, that not only must you adhere to this insane use of language, you must believe it too. Yeah. Yeah. You must believe it. You must know in your soul yeah. that someone who is born with a bollocks and penis, who's got a beard, who's been full of testosterone all their lives, is suddenly right now mm. a woman mm. because they told you they are. Mm. Now, even if you've gone through surgery and even if you've gone through hormone treatment, even if you've been living as a woman for years, I will respect you. I would, I would fight for your rights to live in freedom and dignity. And, and if someone was harassing you in the street, I'd be the first person there to protect you and, 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 and help you a hundred percent. But I don't have to believe you're a woman. Yeah. I don't, and I refuse to do that. And, and, I, and I really think that this need that people have on, on the other side of the debate, that, that if you don't accept everything they say and everything they believe, that you must be transphobic and you must be a bad person um, and full of hate and of danger. I was told by, by one a prominent trans activist uh, the other day that I was responsible for uh, someone who treated her as um, trans uh, child getting attacked in the street. I single-handedly was responsible for that because of the hate that I stir up against trans people. Um, and and I, I just think this is a hill to die on for not just one, but two or three different reasons. You've raised a really good question there, which is a broader issue in, in the woke insanity and, and the culture wars, which is um, the compulsion to lie, the compulsion to say things that we don't actually believe are true. And I think that the really important point, as as you say, is that, not only are we expected to nod along to this stuff, but you are expected really to believe it. And and that's where it does become a form of thought control. So anyone who even thinks, well, I'll, I will use female pronouns as a courtesy, which most of us do, I think. Well, I used to do that. I used to do that. And again, as a courtesy. Now I think it actually, it, it, it's part of the problem. I don't disagree with that. And it would be interesting to hear what other people think too. But I, I think there is, I think because there does become a problem where if you play along with it at that level, then the question becomes, well, why shouldn't the courts play along with it too? Why shouldn't the prison system play along with it? So mm -hmm. I'm very, very sympathetic to that argument. I think the, 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 the bigger point is that um, there is this expectation that you really bring it into your mind and buy into this belief. And if you don't, you are somehow a sinful person. And I was thinking recently about the We Spa controversy in Los Angeles, where you essentially had this man walking around naked. According to the reports, he was aroused and he was in the women's changing areas. He was seen by women who don't want to see that kind of thing. He was seen by a minor, by a girl. And that's where it does become something that's actually quite dangerous and quite problematic. And uh, But what's interesting about that, just to broaden it out into the trans issue, but also beyond the trans issue, is this way in which so many people feel under pressure to hold beliefs that they don't really yeah. hold and to say things that they don't really believe. And so, you know, 
in the United States, where they've always had a more healthy approach to freedom of speech than we have in the UK, um, there used to be this concern about compelled speech. And compelled speech was seen as being as problematic as censored speech. So it's very bad if you can't say what you think, but it's also very bad if you have to say something that you don't think. So I, I just wanted to ask you, in the round, you know, the trans issue, the white privilege issue, the idea that Britain is just this horrible country with a horrible history, there are lots of issues now on which you are expected to hold one view only and to express it faithfully. And if you don't, you face the chop. And that's a real problem, isn't it? Yeah, and indeed, especially as uh, everything you say has to be spoken from from the immutable um, things about yourself. So speaking as a white woman, yeah, uh, yeah. speaking as a black man, speaking as a trans person, this, 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 this idea that um, well, I can't talk about, I can't give a valid opinion on anything that doesn't involve, you know, Karens <laughs> like me, <laughs> gammons like you. You know, um, I, I, I uh, you know, I can't, I can't speak from a black perspective. Well, you know, of course I can't, but I, but I can give an opinion on issues uh, related to race and, you know, children's underachievement from certain ethnic groups. Let's discuss that. Um, just because I'm white doesn't mean I can't give a valid useful opinion on that mm. um but it's fascinating how many um how many men how, it's fascinating how many people with penises seem to think that they <laughs> that, that somehow uh, they're allowed to give an opinion about women yeah. and uh, and their cervixes and the and uh, and their, their their fear of uh of, of rape or, or or sexual assault or just not wanting a bloke with his dick out in the yeah. changing room thank you very much and call me old-fashioned it's just that <laughs> But, but this is the thing, when everyone's perspective and everyone's um, place in the world and everyone's morality um, relative to other people's is judged not on, as you and I were raised, we've discussed this before, on, based on what you say and what you do, on your you know, Martin Luther King, your character, your, your deeds, your, your words, um, but is based on you know, what colour you were born, what gender you were born, what class you were born into, what sexuality you, you have. When, when, you know, a lot of these things which, I mean, pretty much outside of people's control, <laughs> pretty much, yeah. um, apart from trans, which is the one thing uh, we're told isn't. Um, yeah. So I find that really, really bizarre because you're, you're basically saying that, you know, you're, you're separating people into little groups and then saying you're only allowed to talk about certain topics. Your opinion isn't valid on all the topics over here, but you can speak up on these over here. Um, and if you deny things, so for instance, if I, as a white person, say, well, I don't, I'm not a, I'm, I don't believe I do suffer from white privilege. I don't think I am inherently unconsciously biased against people of color. Well, you would say that. Yeah. You're white. Uh, you, and, you know, and you're into that ridiculous scenario where, the, you know, it's the, oh, Oh, you have black friends, do you? <laughs> you know, yeah. so, oh, you don't have any black friends, so you're racist. Yeah. But I do have black friends. Oh, <laughs> well, yes, yeah. yes, that's what racists say. You're in a no-win scenario yeah. again and again. There's, it, it, there is nothing you can do to get out of that. If you're going to be judged on who you are, as opposed to what you say and what you do and what you believe. So it's what we what we must not do ever is is compete on their battleground we can't accept the premise of the of the of the of the you know the the parameters of the debate from them we have to say no no we we don't accept we don't accept the 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 battleground as you've laid it out we think that's the wrong battleground we won't play we're yeah. just going to carry on regardless. And I think it does involve a little bit of bulldozing and a little bit of, frankly, you know, bull in a china shop uh, reaction to just say, no, I won't play. Yeah. I, I refuse to have a conversation with anyone based on, based on the premise that I am automatically racist and suffering, uh, and suffering from unconscious bias against people who are not the same pale skinned as me. Um, as the premise of the of everything I say, I, I, that's absurd. It's absurd. It's provably untrue. But that's where we are. So I think a lot of this is going to have to be people just refusing to pay along and stop apologising. Everyone's got to stop apologising <laughs> for what and who they are. There's nothing wrong with being white or black or gay or straight or anything or middle class. Nothing wrong with someone who got sent to Eton or someone who got sent to uh, the local sink com. Um, it, you know, everything that's out of your control, you're not responsible for. We shouldn't judge people for those exactly. things. 
Exactly. And that is why the whole idea that I thought was a very positive, progressive idea, which is that you should judge people by their character, the loss of that idea is such a tragedy because it does instead become entirely about identity, which I think is such an extraordinary step backwards. And, and also it, certain certain groups are automatically victims. Yeah. They're automatically victims. And, yeah. and I mean, telling someone that you're a nasty you know, white supremacist is pretty nasty, but telling someone they're a victim is is pretty devastating as well. I would have said Absolutely. we do that. We do that with people, uh, ethnic minorities in this country. We we do that to women all the time. We do that to gay people, to trans people. You constantly tell people they're a victim. Well, they're going to start believing they're a victim, aren't they? I think that is one of the great problems of our time. That just and what it does, I think, it grinds people down and makes yeah. them question their own autonomy and invites people to define themselves in this victimhood way rather very than very fatalistic. A, very fatalistic. Uh, but I think you're absolutely right there. You raise the question of the bind that we are all in. And the bind that we are all in is if that if you say, I'm not racist, that's proof you're racist. And of course, if you say, well, I am racist, that's proof you're racist too, of course. So th there's literally nothing you can say in response to these things. And that, that is about not wanting to be on their territory. And the more that we are on their territory, because the kind of people, the kind of ideas that we're talking about are unfortunately the dominant ideas of our time, the more difficult it becomes to have. Like, for example, how can you have a, a reasonable discussion with someone who uses phrases like the gender you were assigned at birth? I mean, there's so, there's, you don't know where to start with that. It's such an alien phrase. Well, I, I just thought, right. oh, I'm a woman. I was born a woman. I'm a woman. Next. Yeah. I just, yeah, I just exactly. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Refuse to engage on their terms. Exactly. Listen, and I no, think that's no, that's I'm actually, not a cis woman. I'm I'm not I'm not identifying as anything. I'm I'm a woman. Next, yeah. move on. Yeah. And I think that's actually a really important if you know, one lesson that I certainly will take away and I hope other people do is is to, not to play by their rules, but to bring our own rules and bring our own ideas and bring our own uh, values to this kind of discussion. But I want to uh, that everything you say is raising a million more questions in my mind. Alas, we have to move on to other issues because we're uh, running out of time. I want to talk to you about uh, two, maybe three more things. But the first thing I want to talk to you about is the climate change stuff and climate change alarmism. And you made a point earlier on, which I think is really important, which is about the science and this idea that there is a definitive science, which, by the way, is an incredibly anti-scientific idea. The whole point of science is that it's supposed to be falsifiable and you're supposed to try to prove that it's wrong and to, in order to make it stronger if it's legitimate. It's supposed to be the one arena of life where you can say and test and experiment and so on. So the idea of the science as if it were a gospel is a contradiction in terms and completely grates against the whole idea of the Enlightenment. Um, but that is where we're at. I've been on protests uh, only to observe, not to join in, uh, held by environmentalists over the past few years where they have held banners saying, listen to the science or the science has spoken. And that is such a, an extraordinarily uh, dangerous and regressive idea in my view. But when you look at groups like Extinction Rebellion or more recently Insulate Britain, who are blocking good hardworking, decent people from going about their daily business. When you see those kinds of groups, where do you think environmentalism has, has ended up? What do you think this movement has currently become? Well, I just, what I can't understand is, well, A, how did Extinction Rebellion manage to come up with a, another offshoot that was even more annoying than them? Well <laughs> yeah. played, Insulate Britain. And, and B, what are they protesting against? So mm. that, it's not about insulating homes. I mean, it, it's, it's, they're protesting against I mean, what, 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 I mean, against what? Because the government, the government's doing their policy. I mean, I mean, if, you know, if the government said, you know, oh, we'll move from 2050 to 2035, they'd say, oh, no, it needs to be sooner. So if they announced that we were going to net zero tomorrow, they wouldn't be happy. It should have been yesterday. But fundamentally, if we've got a government and an opposition, Mm -hmm. who, who are both completely committed, as indeed, I mean, all the parties, I think, apart from, I mean, is anyone else, is anyone not committed? Is Reform mm -hmm. UK not committed? I don't know, but everyone is basically committed to uh, basically the Green Party's agenda. What did they get at the last election? I don't know, what, 13%? And that was with a lot of tactical voting on, on Ramon, you know, from Ramonas, for goodness sake. Um, <laughs> we, we are in, uh, no, that was in, that was in Europeans. It was less than that. It was about, uh, about half, about a quarter of that. Um, we're in a bizarre situation where you've got these people going out on protests 
to protest the fact that the government is basically bringing in all the policies they've been demanding yeah. against the wishes of the British public. Now, it doesn't matter how you voted at the last general election. If you voted Tory, I doubt very much if, oh, what I'd really like is net zero. That's what I'm voting for. I mean, you voted Tory for a number of different reasons, but that was not it. Whether it was Brexit, whether it was anti-Corbyn or the anti-Semitic thing or all the other reasons, it was taxes, whatever. It wasn't that. And um, I, I, again, I, when I was thinking of just before Brexit, was it the culture wars? Was it climate change? Well, I mean, I say we've got both uh, you know, two tidal waves meeting each other. Hope, I would like to think they'd cancel each other out, but, but sadly not. Um, the, the, the fact that these people have apparently said today um, you know, they're not in the business of trying to um, you know, change public opinion or raise awareness anymore. They basically just want to basically bully us. They don't, want to, they don't want to be popular. They don't want us to like us. They don't want us to, to yeah. go along with them. They just want they just want their policies enacted. You know, they're as anti-democratic as the Ramonas were in yeah. 2019, for goodness yeah. sake. Um, they, they, they genuinely believe that the policy should be made by the technocrats, by the scientists, and not, and not by governments accountable to and elected by the people. They don't want to persuade people with their arguments. Um, they don't want to explain and 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 nurture support. They they want to just impose it on us. And oh goodness me, it reminds me of a lot of a lot of other policies we've been living under for the last eighteen months. And and I find it really very very terrifying. I don't believe for a nanosecond that anyone in this current Conservative government believes for one moment anything that they say on the climate change issue. Least of all Boris Johnson. I mean, Carrie may well do. And he's probably getting it in the year uh, uh, at night. Um, but I don't believe they believe any of it at all. I don't believe Theresa May believed it when she pushed that through Parliament. Um, 90 minutes of debate to put a net zero policy through that will cost us you know, trillions and trillions of pounds. Um, so why are they doing it? Mm. Is it just to be liked? Is it the same mm. reason why people wear masks? Uh, when they're in the fresh air on their own. There's a way of just saying, well, look, I'm a nice person. You know, wearing a mask is the equivalent of being worried about climate change, isn't it? Uh, and, and, and using the correct pronouns. I mean, these are all signals that you are a good person. You are a nice person. You have the correct views. You know, I went to a brave new world. You know, you're, you're at the top of the pile. You know, you're not a, you're not a worker bee. You know, you're, you're the elite. Um, and it's, and it's just become now, I think, a, a subject matter that one has to have a certain view on. Otherwise, hey, you're part of the crazy people. You're yeah. a conspiracy theorist. You're yeah. just plain stupid. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. Um, and you don't care. You don't yeah. care about our children dying. I can, don't you care about the children <laughs> dying? Yes, I care about the children currently dying of malaria. Yeah. I care about the children currently dying of poverty. I care about the children currently dying in, in Africa and in Southeast Asia and in South America uh, from environmental pollution. Not environmental pollution from coal power stations, from the fact that their parents are burning wood on yeah. little stoves in their little shacks and the children are dying from that smoke inhalation because that's actually what is killing kids right now. Um, but that doesn't make me a good person, you see. Yeah. There's no point saying that. Um, I, I, this is... It's just another religion. It's like the mask wearing. It's it's like the the cultures. It, it, it's religious territory. It is it is a cult. Um, to question it, um, it, it means you are you know you you, you know an apostate. You know, it, it, and and you must sign up to all of it. You have to sign up to all the language. You have to say as Sky News and BBC do all the time, and it's in there. It's in their actual, you know, editorial guidelines. You know, you talk about, you know, the climate catastrophe, the climate crisis, the climate emergency, floods, floods in Germany, and and uh, and, and and a fire in Greece when it's been forty-five degrees for a long time, or or, or or a tornado or a hurricane on the east coast of America. That is now all evidence of climate change, as opposed to weather yeah. and failure to dredge rivers, and it's been quite hot. Stuff that's perfectly explainable. That even under the IPCC, they, you know, their reports. You know, anyone who actually bothers reading past the front page and the headlines of the Guardian would know. Actually, you know, don't have don't have high confidence that we're seeing any extra levels of extreme weather at all. If you take them as a whole, we've just got we've just got iPhones now, and we just video everything, so we see them every day. Um, it, but it, again, it's it's now an obsession. It's 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 religious fervor for this. Um, 
And I never know, I'm never entirely sure which is more scary, that people believe this stuff and that we really need to send ourselves back to the Stone Age to stop human beings killing the planet. Genuinely proper, you know, um, mad religious cult stuff, or whether they're just saying it, which is what I think the cabinet and others are doing. Um, and in which case, why are they doing that? Why? Why are they doing that? Because when the chickens come home to roost, and we do get, as we're seeing right now, with the yeah. reliance on energy, you know, renewable energy like wind, when we do, the chickens come home to roost, and we end up with massive hikes in energy costs as we will and that's going to be happening for decades now uh, because of the reliance on unreliable renewables renewables um the chickens are going to come home to roost and they're going to come home big time yeah because people are going to be bloody furious that they're going to be made to pay for all this and when you've got when you've got a water pump that doesn't actually make your house warm in the winter and it costs (laughs) you 10 grand not three for a new boiler and, and when and when you're paying you know thousands more in tax um, and you can't, and your car's got no value anymore. Um, I think, I think governments, whoever is in charge at that point, I mean, that's going to be like past the parcel and the music stops and they are going to be really, really in trouble. Absolutely. And I hope so too. But yeah. I think this is, this is another issue where what is presented to us as progressive is actually regressive. So mm. you mentioned there that you do care about the children, as they will often say, the children around the world, in the developing world in particular, or the, the not developing fast enough world, where people are suffering in the here and now, not because of weather, but because they are not as industrialised or modern as we are lucky enough to be. And I think a lot of these greens, a lot of the hair shirt greens that you see on Extinction Rebellion protests, the vast majority of whom, by the way, are very plummy, very well brought up, probably uh, lived in castles and so on in the kind of houses that are too big to insulate yes. uh, so so we can forgive them perhaps for their hypocrisy of not having insulation um those kinds of people when you when you listen to those kinds of people it's very clear they don't understand how revolutionary something like the industrial revolution was for the rest of us because it meant we no longer lived on the land we were no longer serfs to some feudal lord we no longer died at the age of 33 without ever having left the end of our field but instead we were dragged kicking and screaming probably into modernity and all its benefits which is a longer life a healthier life freedom choice the right to vote the right to educate your children all of those things spring from yeah. that industrial revolution well, it's a complete lack of knowledge and understanding about history and yeah. fundamentally isn't it i mean it's Absolutely. ignorance on, on, on their part but again but this comes back from this whole idea that somehow human beings are uh, are, are you know a horrible sort of disease yeah. on this planet it, it is and that this religious cult this cultism about you know ek cultism it's it's very anti-human the idea that you know we shouldn't want people having too many babies you know the planet the planet is, is increasing its population not because people are having a lot of babies even in bangladesh the average woman has 2.3 children isn't it it's not eight like it used to be even here in the uk you know uh, only 100 or so years ago um because their children aren't routinely dying we've got more people on the planet right now because people are living longer yeah. and babies don't die when they're yeah. born well, yeah. i mean sorry are we are we supposed to think those are bad things yeah Absolutely. And, and as everyone knows, in, in certain uh, poorer parts of the world, the reason people traditionally had larger families is because the risk of uh, the death of children was high. They had eight, three died. Yeah, and because they had no welfare state, so they needed other people to look after them, and they needed people to work. It was a perfectly logical thing for people to do. And the more that you industrialise, the more that you create the social and political structures to look after and protect people, the less likely people are to have huge families. And yet you have Greens agitating against that kind of thing, so it drives me slightly balmy. Spiked is publishing more than ever. Articles, interviews, book reviews, long reads, podcasts. Every week, Spiked is packed with brilliant content on the big issues and big themes of our time. And now there's a really simple way for you to keep yourself in the loop on everything that we publish by signing up to our daily newsletter. In the daily newsletter, you will receive a roundup of everything we publish that day, plus some exclusive commentary from the Spiked team. What's not to like? So stay on top of everything Spike produces by signing up for our daily newsletter today. Just go to www.spiked-online.com slash newsletters. 
Okay, Julia, you said the word disease there, and so we now need to talk about the disease of our time, uh, even though we're all uh, sick to the back teeth of it, which is COVID-19. You try doing a three and a half hour show every day about it. I'm sure, absolutely. And so we live in the era of COVID, whether we want to or not. And the past 18 months have been very, very strange. And uh, one thing I wanted to talk to you about is what you think the repercussions will be. What What will the ripple effect be in the future? Because it seems to me... We had, I can't even remember, we had three or four lockdowns. Um, We had an initial lockdown, which was very severe and lasted three months rather than three weeks, which is what we were told it would be. Uh, We had subsequent milder lockdowns. But we, we basically, in the round, we have entered a period, a historical period, in which it has come to be seen as acceptable for the state to enact extraordinary measures in response to an undoubted health crisis. Neither you nor I are COVID deniers. We recognise that it's a serious virus and that it was impacting on elderly and vulnerable people in particular, and that certain actions needed to be taken in order to protect those sections of society. But we have entered a new period. And the thing that worries me about the post-COVID era is that having created this new precedent, it is now possible that a whole new era of authoritarianism lies before us. Is that something that you're worried about? Terrifies the living daylights out of me. Um, I have to say, give you credit, you were ahead of me on realising the madness of lockdown. So <laughs> I certainly was not one of those people sort of calling on Witty and Valance and, and Boris Johnson to sort of go into lockdown sooner. I understood the argument yeah. that they wanted it to spread. It was quite deliberate. Uh, and, and, you know, you, you locked down, flatten the curve. I, I'm annoyed that as a cynical old hack, I, I believed too much of what they said. And I'm really angry at myself now. <laughs> I try not to make that same mistake again. But um, it was certainly within a Within about five weeks, I'm like, oh, uh-oh, no, this is, we've had a horrible mistake here. And then seeing what was happening in Sweden and then the Great Barrington Declaration uh, and realising that we, we've just made a horrible, horrible mistake. You know, I, you know I'm, not, I'm not a medic, I'm not a scientist, so this is new to me, but I've had, I've had people say the whole way through this, oh, what are your qualifications as a virologist? <laughs> well, they're the same as the bloody health secretaries. What's your point? You know, um, I think the, the repercussions of this are huge because we just talked about climate change. Um so Patrick Vallance, the chief scientific advisor of one of the architects of lockdown, um, he tweeted only yesterday about how uh, you know climate change was a serious issue and, and action needs yeah. to be taken. Well, you know if we've got if we've got um, you know some elderly people dying from this virus and we can lock down you know tens of millions of perfectly healthy people in their homes and close schools and shut down treatments for pretty much anything else like cancer and heart attacks for for that. I mean, if the whole planet's going to die, wiping us all out as a species, well, that can justify anything. Yeah. So I think the justification is going, I mean, it's there now. We've done it, you know, once you've done it once, Neil Ferguson letting the cat out of the bag, didn't he? Or once we, once we saw China do it, then we saw Italy do it, then we knew we could, quote, get away yeah. with it. Yeah. That's the key, get away with it. Um, one of the key things for me was... Um, over the last few years, one of the things I've, I love about my country, I love about my fellow citizens, is what happened in 2016 and 2019. Yeah. The fact that the British people were told, you know, oh, this is going to be a disaster, Brexit, and people went, yeah, sod off. I'm going to yeah. vote for it anyway. It's what I want to yeah. vote for. And then sat there quite, no riots, no protests on the street. I mean, you and I went to some of you know, the big marches, but not nothing ever, ever that wasn't completely peaceful and law-abiding. Um, and then just they quietly bided their time. And I never had a doubt ever, even when we were having all those battles in 2019, that we weren't going to see Brexit happen. It may not be that year, next year, it was going to happen. And, and then that, that, that vote happened. Now, it doesn't matter whether, say, whether you vote Tory or Labour or whatever, if you were a Brexiteer, just the fact that people went, no, no, we're, we're going to boot out all the people who betrayed us. And they were every, to a man and a woman. Um, and, and we're going to get Brexit done. And I, I just was so proud of the fact that the British people stood up uh, to the, you know the mass media, all the political class telling them they were wrong, and, and they did it anyway. And I love that. So I've, I, I was really stunned and really disappointed to realise that so many of those people I thought had a bit of backbone and independent thought apparently don't when it comes to COVID. Um, and the only thing I can put that down to is, is how many people have just been desperately, desperately cowed and scared by the propaganda this government's put out. Um, normally, a government's job is to reassure us, you know, keep calm and carry on and, and the like. 
for a government to take it upon itself, and we know this from the Sage Minutes, we know it happened, to deliberately scare the population into their homes and scare them into their masks and into, you know, losing their businesses and their children losing their education. Um, I, I mean, it should be criminal. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know, Sir Patrick Balance and Chris Ritty know what, the World Health Organization guidelines were about what to do in a pandemic. I know that we know that what, what the, our own pandemic planning said. And when people talk about this sort of immoral and dangerous experiment of, uh, of, uh, like what Sweden has done, you know, or Florida and Texas, Mississippi and the States, well, actually, no, the lockdown was a dangerous and immoral, um, experiment. Sweden, Sweden just simply followed exactly what the guidance was for dealing mm-hmm. with a pandemic. And we've yeah. seen how much better their outcomes have been across the board, economically, health-wise, excess deaths, everything. Um, and I, I, what I can't, I, I, can, I can forgive people for being scared in, in February and March 2020. I can forgive politicians for sort of going, you know, everyone else is locking down, we're going to have to do it, this is what the people are demanding. I can forgive the media for it. But, but two months in, they were looking at the evidence of the mental health crisis, of, of the cancer crisis, of, uh, of, of the damage to children's education, um, uh, of the damage to our cohesiveness. And so they were seeing it and they didn't speak out and they didn't change it. A year and a half on, the fact that the first thing that happens when we hit kids going back to school is that the questions at a press conference and is, oh, oh, when are we going to have to lock down? Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't believe for a moment that we seen the last lockdown i I just don't believe we've i i I think this is this is going to be a permanent threat to us now forever um that you know that genie is our is our and of the lamp and i i think that a precedent has been set that the safety comes first i've had government ministers on my show most days for the last 18 months and when they say um it's a it's it's our duty to keep people safe and i said no it's not Mm. No, it's not. I didn't elect you to do that. And 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 safe at what cost? Yeah. You know, again, these are like these are like the people who never let their child climb a tree and they never let their child cross a road on their own, but they leave them in cotton wool sitting on a sofa watching a TV screen all day. They think that keeps them safe when they die 20 years early from being obese and miserable and, <laughs> and, and never having exercise. You know, safety has lots of different aspects and, and part of the safety is is the safety you get from having a fulfilling, happy, meaningful, physical and mental life. Um, And I feel that we have, we have opened the door to the most extraordinary dystopian, unbelievable um, authoritarianism and control of our lives, every aspect of our lives, who we can speak to, who we can hug, um, you know, whether our children get taught or not. And I don't know how we shut that down again. I don't know how we say never again. Um, I have considered, you know, is it, you know, have to set up a political party that's just purely on this issue. I don't even think we've got the support for it. I think so many of the British public are still signed up to this. I think when they start getting the bill, they might wake up to it. When everyone knows someone who's waiting for an operation and everyone knows someone who's died of untreat, of not being treated rather than of COVID, I think they might wake up to it. But I think that might be too late. I think you've captured really well there the, the heroism and the tragedy of the past five years because, I mean, we have been cursed to live in interesting times. And mm-hmm. that, in a sense, is a very good thing to be, to be free, to be frank. Um, because, you know, since 2016, we have, it, we in the UK have lived through the most extraordinary times. We've had a, a, a ballot box revolt against European neoliberalism. And as you say, against the politics of fear, the people stood firm against Project Fear, which was launched by the Ramonas. And they said, no, we're going to stand by our democratic wishes through thick and thin, and we're going to make sure this happens. To my mind, that was one of the most inspiring political events of the post-war period. And and then shortly afterwards, we've lived through something that is far more depressing, in which there has been far more atomization, far more fear. People have felt alone and 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 distressed and incapable of standing up to it in many ways so there is this extraordinary conflict of values going on right now which i think is 
interesting and it will be interesting to see which ones win out and i think part of the job of people like me and you and uh, and hopefully the people in this audience is try to make sure that those democratic positive anti-fear values win yeah. out rather than oh the I, absolutely i mean I, I don't think a day goes by when someone doesn't um uh, tweet me or, or write a letter to me at work or um or come up to me in the street and just say it's, it's, it's always the same words thank you for keeping me sane yeah, and when exactly. we start, we talked about that at the beginning, but that's yeah. say thank, just thank you, thank you for being there for the last year and a half because I would have gone crazy. I just yeah. would have gone crazy having to listen to you know Radio Four or, or watching Spy or BBC in the morning or, or you know or, you know or GMB and have people telling me you know that we should all be locked in our homes constantly. Absolutely, okay, Julia, we are hugely running over time, which Sorry, is your it's fault. you and me. I mean, your we could fault. do this for four hours, couldn't we? It's really? your fault for being too interesting. That's my <laughs> take. Um, but we do want to bring in a couple of questions from the audience. So let's make this a kind of quick fire. Okay, round. promise. We'll spend like five minutes on this. And I, uh, but I, we did promise the audience we'd ask, we'd let them ask some questions. So I've got some in my hand on my phone. First one is from Isabella Smith. Isn't it time Julia Hartley Brewer ran for prime minister? <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, you can't run for prime minister. You have to run to be an MP. Look, it didn't even work for Nigel <laughs> Farage with all that organisation and political ability. Um, I've thought about it a million times. I was actually asked by uh, four different political, no, five different political parties to stand as an MP for them, which tells you how, how little they know my politics. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think one day. Genuinely, I think one day I will, but right now I'm not sure there's a political party I could toe the line on. Um, I feel actually I have more influence yeah. and more power um, doing the job I do right now. Okay, this might be one that you want to be careful on. I don't know. You you do what you want to do. Gareth Sturdy asks, what do the developments at GB News tell us about the possibilities for serious political debate about the kind of issues we've been discussing tonight in the UK media? Yeah, well, obviously, as you'll know, you know, I work for Talk Radio. We're setting up Talk TV um, next year. So, you know, obviously, we think there is a market there. Look, I'm always delighted with any newcomers. I mean, an awful lot of my, my colleagues and friends are at that station, and I'm, I'm very fond of an awful lot of them. Um, and um, so I, I think it's better that there is more media to choose from uh, than less. Uh, and I, I, frankly, I wish them every success. Uh, and I, I just, I just want there to be more different varied voices, uh, and debate going on. And, and if, whether it's what I do or what they do or what talk TV ends up doing when we launch next year can, can give people alternatives and give people choice, then you know, more's the better. Absolutely. Okay. Final question. This is from Alan. I love this question because it's so brief and it's my favorite topic in the whole world. This question is, isn't Brexit great? Yes. There's not a day. There's not a day when I don't regret it. I, I find it fascinating. There's a, <laughs> of the usual Ramona types who are on uh, Twitter today saying, oh, well, no, no free trade deal with America. We may get one, we may not. I, I couldn't give a toss. I really couldn't <laughs> give a toss. If that wasn't why I voted for Brexit, I don't think it was why anyone voted for Brexit. The opportunity to get those deals, yes, but you know, oh, we can't get we can't get a free trade deal with America because we're really little. Well, that'll explain why the EU have got one. Oh, 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 hold on a minute, they don't. Um, <laughs> uh, for me, one of the things it, it ties in everything, whether it's climate change, whether it is, and, and the policies on that again, actually, I think they're all insane, and I don't think they really were front and centre at the last general election. Whether it's lockdown policies, uh, whether it's taxation, whether it's the NHS, whatever it is, every single one of those things is decided by politicians that we get to elect. Yeah, yeah, and not 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 officials in the EU; they own it. There is not a policy in this country that they don't own and have responsibility for. And if we can persuade enough people that they're wrong on those issues, then we get to boot them out, replace them with people who represent our views. It's called democracy. It's an old fashioned idea, but I think it might come back one day. Julia Hartley Brewer, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for listening to The Brendan O'Neill Show. We'll be back with another guest and more discussion. Don't forget to subscribe. And in the meantime, keep reading Spiked at www.spiked-online.com.